Hello, and welcome to a Nutrition and Clinical Practice podcast. I'm Dr. Kristen Roberts, Associate Editor for Nutrition and Clinical Practice. The theme for the October issue of NCP is acid-based balance, fluids, and electrolytes. And joining me today is Kristen Izzo, the first author of the paper we are discussing today, and Dr. Park, who is the senior author on the paper titled, Use of Oral Rehydration Solution and Intravenous Fluid in Home Settings for Adults with Short Bowel Syndrome. Dr. Park is Associate Staff from the Department of Gastroenterology, Hepatology, and Nutrition within the Digestive Disease and Surgery Institute at the Cleveland Clinic. And Kristen Izzo is the Nutrition Manager for the Center for Gut Rehabilitation and Transplantation and Home Nutrition Support at the Cleveland Clinic. Thank you, Dr. Park and Kristen, for joining me today. Before we get started in our discussion, I'd like to ask our guests if they have any disclosures on this topic that they would like to share. I don't have any disclosures. No disclosures. So before we begin discussing the review of your article, can you please provide us with an overview of your clinical practice and how this topic fits within your area of expertise? I can start first. I'm an internist specializing in clinical nutrition. My um, areas of specialties are nutrition support, home parental nutrition, enteral nutrition, and parental nutrition, and short bowel syndrome. And I did clinical nutrition fellowship uh, at Cleveland Clinic after graduating from internal medicine residency. And since then, I've been striving hard to achieve enteral autonomy in our patient population with short bowel syndrome. So maximizing the use of oral rehydration solution is the key to, you know, liberate our patients from parental nutrition. So I use ORS and IV fluid a lot in my practice. Great. How about you, Kristen? Clinically, I'm a registered dietitian. I started my career clinically in the Cleveland Clinic home TBN team. So that's where I started. And really, that's where my background started with IV fluids, TBN, and primarily the use of oral rehydration solutions in that patient population. And then I transitioned my care over to the Center for Gut Rehab and Transplant, where I worked with patients in an inpatient and outpatient setting to work with them from an oral, enteral, parenteral beginning to end, they will say transition to take care of them in that way. And now in my current role as the clinical nutrition manager, I support both of those teams and subsequently that population of patients. All right. Wonderful. So I love the historical approach that you took within this paper, starting with the first use of IV fluids in 1832 by Dr. Thomas Lada. Dr. Park, I wonder if you could tell us about how the use of IV fluids has changed over time and how these compare to the most current ORS formulations. Thanks for the interesting question. So uh, when cholera hit England in 1831, Dr. Lata was the one who first developed this intravenous fluid that can be used for patients with dehydration from cholera. And it was actually him who modified his own first formula resembling electrolytes of human serum. And 50 years after that, Sidney Ringer developed his Ringer solution with sodium and chloride and also potassium and lactate, which resembles human serum. And around the same time, there was a uh, IV fluid called uh, normal saline found by um, Hamburger. And then he found that you know, normal saline, our uh, mammalian's red blood cell doesn't lies in the um, in vitro setting. So uh, normal saline has been widely used since then. 
Recently, Medical Society uh, has found out that balanced crystalloid solutions with lactate ringer and plasma light are probably better than using normal saline because normal saline is not really normal and, you know, it can cause hyperchloremic metabolic acidosis. You know, history of IV fluid has changed since then. And ORS, you know, it also was developed to treat patients with cholera. And then the contents of ORS uh, is to really maximize the absorption of water in the small intestine by giving the correct ratio of sodium and glucose so that it can activate the sodium glucose co-transporter in the small intestine. Great. Thank you very much for that overview. I'll, I'll pose this question to Kristen. So your paper has a focus on the use of ORS and IV fluids in patients with short bowel syndrome. And I feel like this information is so valuable and can be used by many other clinicians. So I'm, I'm wondering if you can discuss how this information can be useful for those that are practicing in a non-short bowel syndrome population. Yeah, thank you for this question. I think it's important to bring light to all of the information that is in the article, even though we do focus on the short bowel syndrome population, since that's where Dr. Park and I's clinic focus generally is for our population. But really, if you think about medical nutrition therapy in general, this paper provides guidelines to all clinicians to determine, regardless of the underlying etiology of diarrhea, how to interact and intervene with that patient. So really anybody who has chronic or acute diarrhea, so this might be somebody who has medication-induced diarrhea, or if we're even considering in most recent times, one of the major symptoms actually we found out from COVID-19 was it could have been diarrhea. So people who maybe had never heard of ORS or clinicians who never had to recommend it, this might have been a useful tool to help combat that most recent and new finding. What this paper highlights in all of our tables and figures is not only the types of ORS that you can purchase, how to make ORS, but then also from a clinician's perspective, how to calculate where losses might be coming from, how to replete, so whether that's oral or IV, and then also be able to identify what fluid needs are. So regardless of the etiology, a clinician should be able to utilize this paper to come up with some intervention. And furthermore, when we look at disease states in general, this can be used across probably I would say most underlying etiologies or chronic disease states that might have some medication-induced diarrhea. So we know for the most part what side effects can be caused from medications, but each patient really does respond to oral or IV medications differently. So specifically, if you look at the oncology patient population, they might have oral or chemotherapeutic agents that are causing diarrhea and then also have poor intake. So in order to keep them hydrated, this might be a good, useful tool for clinicians to provide that recommendation for them. That's great. That's a really good connection to current clinical practice. So Dr. Park, you talked about the physiological rationale for the use of ORS with the sodium glucose co-transporters that really should help promote intestinal absorption. However, in your paper, you mentioned that this doesn't always work as a great hydration source for all patients. So I'm wondering if you can discuss some of the key clinical features that clinicians should look for when ORS is insufficient for maintaining adequate hydration. Sure. So for some patients with short bowel syndrome, ORS is often not sufficient to maintain their hydration level. So there are some objective findings and subjective symptoms that we can watch for. 
the most useful physical exam finding for patients with dehydration would be measuring orthostatic blood pressure. So when patients stand up from chair and if their systolic blood pressure drops more than 20 millimeters mercury uh, within you know, three to five minutes, or if their diastolic blood pressure drops more than 10 millimeter mercury, so, you know, three to five minutes, then we know that patient's intravascular volume is depleted. And uh, we know that patient is dehydrated just by using ORS. So we may have to consider uh, parenteral support with IV fluid or parenteral nutrition. And patient symptoms, including feeling thirsty and seeing darker urine color. Also, you know, uh, when they stood up from chair, if they experienced some lightheadedness, we know that they are dehydrated. So as a clinician, I always ask these symptoms carefully to patient, and that's what our team do too. Great. So I appreciate the patient perspective being included in your review. Um, this is such a critical part to actually getting our patients to use ORS, and I think understanding some of the barriers to compliance. Kristen, do you mind sharing with us some of the key aspects you identified to enhance adherence to ORS in hopes for preventing the need for home IV fluids? Yeah, so I could not agree more with your statement about the patient perspective. And I'll say invariably, this is the number one question that my team and myself are asked from other healthcare providers when it comes to adherence to oral rehydration solution. And I think there's a couple of main points. First, from a clinician or a dietitian's perspective, finding the motivation for change with a patient for any diet modification is really the first step to understanding how to break down barriers for that patient. In this patient population with short bowel syndrome, the motivation is generally higher or very evident because they are can have decreased quality of life based on their bowel habits. They're at really high risk for needing central line access, which can be very frightening. And then also long-term effects regarding their renal function. So their motivation is generally high, but there are a lot of other barriers that might impact their ability to adhere to the oral rehydration solution. And that can be taste, it can be product availability, it can be cost, and it can be their lack of understanding of what the goal and the reasons for it are. So really it's the teams and the dietitians' first job to figure out what that motivation is and make sure that they are identifying what those barriers are to break those down to help the patient in the best way they can. From there, I think the next most important piece is the clinician's ability to be able to react to what those barriers are. So if a patient can't afford one of the commercially available products that's available, then we need to be able to help them understand how easy it is to make the recipe at home and different ways that they can accept the taste based on different recipes that we can offer them. So really looking at what our recommendations are and changing them. So we're going to have changes in commercial products where they're available, what new things are other patients bringing to us that they're accepting. So changing our practice as much as the rest of the world is changing to meet our patients on that level. And then in addition to that, I do think it's very important when these recommendations are being made that the clinicians have an understanding of what the products taste like. And I will say from our institution's perspective, all of our clinicians routinely taste and drink oral rehydration solutions. So we're able to have those conversations with the patient. So from a start, I think that's where the adherence begins. But then I think really close follow-up and making sure patients understand moving forward. You know, they get a lot of information. And so having a very expert team of healthy dietitians or certified nutrition support clinicians to be able to follow up with the patient 
long-term is really what promotes that adherence in the long run. That's great. I like the inclusion there of some of the comparisons of the financial responsibilities associated with purchasing commercial versus the homemade solutions. That's really helpful. All right. So I think we have time for one more question and I'll ask this to both of you. So recently, Dr. Ryan Hurd, our current Aspen president, highlighted some of the challenges we face as home nutrition support clinicians with current access issues to home infusion pharmacies and and home care. I'm wondering if you can share from your own experiences with these challenges, any words of wisdom for those of us in smaller centers that are struggling to discharge our patients home with home IV fluids when it's clearly indicated? Yes, so we're certainly not without effect from all of these challenges we've seen more recently too. I think words of wisdom that we maybe can offer is that we've really reached out to our interdisciplinary team members, each other, our national societies like Aspen to see what other centers are doing, figuring out new strategies that we can maybe implement from our level based on what our resources are. And I think the mentality that we've approached this with is that we know what's ideal and that doesn't exist now. So what new things can we implement? And really it's been an ever-changing year, I'll say, based on shortages and difficulties with discharge. So really relying on all of our resources and other interdisciplinary team members to help us come up with new strategies. And for uh, PN component shortages, we introduced our strategy for national IV acetate shortage. We developed strategy you know, like Christine said, through the interdisciplinary discussion, we also reached out to our nephrologists who are working in the same hospital to get their ideas and to get their feedback. So we introduced those strategies in our article, including how to calculate bicarbonate deficit and how to uh, make ORS based on the baking soda. We developed a new table, how to convert regular salt to baking soda, because those two will be used for the source of sodium in that ORS. Interdisciplinary discussion is really important. And like Aspen recommended in previous guidelines, using premixed formula like Clinimex uh, in certain situations will be beneficial as well. All right. Thank you for that. Well, I want to thank you both um, for sharing your expertise with our listeners. And I invite our listeners to find out more about acid-base balance, fluids, and electrolytes in the upcoming issue of Nutrition Clinical Practice. Thank you again, Dr. Park and Kristen Izzo for being with us today. Thank you for having us. Thank you. 